0: So you know when when I look at you know I tell my kids like listen we could go back to zero we could go back to that one bedroom and everybody just lived. I, I don't care we could go yeah. back to zero yeah. we know how to rebuild. Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Edge. My name is Raúl Vilasis, and I'm here to bring to this podcast an amazing man. I follow this guy on social media; he has a big following. At the same time, he just he has, just has that energy that exudes like leadership, exudes you know getting you shit together. So I want to bring to this podcast Matza Paula. Give me two claps on the next level. Two claps.
1: Nice.
0: Love it, love it, <laughs> love it, cold, man. man. Matt, welcome to the Daily, not the Daily Edge podcast, the Weekly Edge podcast. I do have a Daily Edge podcast, but every single mm-hmm. time that we meet a guy like you, we want to bring him to the to this podcast to share some of the wisdom and insights of what it's like to live on the edge. So brother, welcome to the, yeah. to the podcast.
1: Uh, honored to be here. Honored to be asked by you. I've seen your content and respect the work that you do, man, making an impact in the community of men, the brotherhood of men. So honored to be here, brother. Right.
0: Thank you, man. Especially, you know, we talked about this before in the in the you know, before we started, it's, it's very rare to see minorities stand out, right? And I think that's one of the reasons that I gravitated to your content because to see another minority do what, what we do and, and to be able to, to actually achieve a certain type of success, even though like success is different for everybody else, but uh, tell us what it's like to come from a minority background to be able to cut you th- uh, teeth through the financial industry that you're in.
1: Yeah, the conversation I would have with family about money, success with money, success in business, success success with career wasn't very well articulated when I was growing up. You know, I think in a, in a Filipino culture, the kids are more often seen than heard and mm-hmm. uh, game planning, figuring out your next moves, what you want to do, you know, in terms of success and wealth and finance, zero conversation about that. You know, I think the conversation was more like, okay, you know, are you going to be a doctor? You're going to be a a, a dentist. You're going to be an attorney, especially being a Filipino and being, being in the medical field. Mm. But being an entrepreneur, what's that? Going to the Marines, what's that? We we talk about go, come back down to reality and come back to our normalcy. And so I, I had to find out that I was wired differently than everybody else in my family. And it only takes one generation. It takes only one person in a family's generation to change that family generation's last name forever. Mm-hmm. And I decided to be it. I, I love that message because I'm, I'm first generation American
0: here. I was born in Ecuador. Right. And, um, and my grandfather was, had an entrepreneur skill, but he never built a business. It was more like he was a hustler. He will, he will flip real estate. He actually, he, one of the memories that I have is he will actually work here in the United States. He'll bring dollars from the United States to Ecuador and he'll go to the black market and start trading dollars for the regular mean, <laughs> He had a gun in one side and a stack of cash <laughs> in the other side, man. And, you know, it could have been a good day or a bad day, but but that's that's what we we'll grow up in, and really hustling and and, and seeing what's yeah. what's out there. So t- tell me, what it was like for you to grow up? Did you grow up in here, or did you grow up in the
1: Philippines? I did Chicago. I was born here in Chicago. I mean, my first job was a bike messenger downtown. So this is the era before email and text messages and fax machines. So I was a fax machine. You know, I was I was a text messenger. I was that was delivering documents from one you know downtown from one office to another office downtown Chicago. I made my living on a bike. I crushed cans and recycled newspapers for extra cash. I took a bus and a train growing up. Never in a million years that I ever think I'd make a million dollars. Uh, but just, just, you know, surviving was pretty much what I was just looking to do. So zero aspirations. But you know, that was it, you know, here in Chicago. You know, I'm the only Filipino in my neighborhood in a Latino, African American, Italian neighborhood. So I was just trying to find my identity also while I was growing up. And, and did you have like, I don't, I don't know about you, but my mother, she had multiple
0: jobs, right? And one of the jobs was, was cleaning offices. And she used to take us right after school to help her to clean offices. Did you ever have those kind of those jobs with your parents like that you didn't get paid yeah. for, but you had to actually work? It was part of the part of the job was actually helping your parents out in the job. What, what did what did yeah. you do in those cases?
1: Yeah, I, well, for me, because I gravitated to sports when I was in school, you know, middle school, junior high, high school. But always on Saturday mornings, man, my dad had me cleaning. He had me, you know, seven o'clock, six o'clock and where we get up and most kids are sleeping in and what you got me cleaning for, you know, uh, because he was a middle manager at Sears, he was looking to get promoted. He was looking to make a name for himself in Sears. And at the same time we go back home and we'd also do that to our house. So after we got done cleaning the office area that he was at at Sears, we go home, we would do our own, you know, bust out the cleaning, uh, uh, cleaning gear at the house. And he was my first phone call, Raul. He was my first phone call when I was in boot camp. And for six weeks, there's no contact from the outside because we're in boot camp. We're Marine Corps boot camp. First phone call was at three o'clock in the morning because I was on night duty uh, uh, making breakfast for the entire base. It's called, you know, it's called mess, uh, mess duty. And he says, hey, the, one of the Marines says, "Hey, listen, there's a phone that you want to make a phone call. Go, go for it. I'm not, I don't see anything." And so I made a phone call, called my dad, say, hey, "Dad, thank you mm-hmm. for." Making me clean at six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday mornings because this boot camp stuff, this is easy. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Love it, man. Love it because I, I think that's where the immigrants we have a uh, an advantage. I think uh, from yeah. people who are born in this country. I even tell my kids, and my kids get sick and tired of hearing my stories all the time because I they think I'm making it up. You know, I think, yeah. when I tell them I used to take the bus to go to school. And then kids used to pick on me and all this say like "Dad, You make those those stories cannot possibly be true. That come on. That's that's not true. Sure. So uh, yeah. so I think that our parents really shaped us and, and mold us. But when was that moment for you that you realized that man, I need to make it in this country? I need to level up because if if I don't make it, like my lineage is on the line yeah. here. When was that moment yeah. for you?
1: To me, it didn't really come around, Raul, until maybe my thirties, maybe maybe my mid thirties, because when I left the Marine Corps, I got married and divorced while so I was still in the Marines and I became a single father with custody of my kids, mm. got the Marines, had two more kids. So I had three custody <laughs> under my under my responsibility mm. and my th- three jobs before I got involved in the insurance industry was YMCA lifeguard, five to eight o'clock in the morning, Jiffy Loop Hood technician, mm. signature service on day one, and uh, Olive Garden server where I learned sales skills. Mm. And mm-hmm. so when I, when I picked up these three jobs and I started making money on the side with insurance, I started getting rid of the, the two jobs, kept the olive garden job because it was a serve of cash money in my pocket all the time as I was launching my business. And then it wasn't until I started hanging around with people with inside my industry, because I, I'd be the only multicultural kid in a insurance conference, The mm-hmm. typical insurance agent is a 60 year old Caucasian male. I was a 25 year old Filipino brown kid. Mm-hmm. In 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 a, in a room, I'd stick out, and so uh, that's when I started being aware of a different language of money. Because when these guys started talking, and of, of course the education you get by being involved inside the insurance industry was a completely different level. Yeah, and so it would be later on in my life, you know, my thirties, that I started realizing, wow, I, I could really make something out of this thing. This is this is the right industry to be a part of. This is the right career for me to be a part of. And after that, a few years later, I started making six figures.
0: When I, I love what you're saying that you had to have different jobs to shape your mold you. Because, you know, I I look at the culture right now when kids, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, right? Back in the days, entrepreneur mm-hmm. meant, that, meant that you didn't have the, the the skills to make it in school. Because that, <laughs> right. my, I, my grandfather always kept on asking me, when are you going to get your degree? When, even though I hire people with PhDs in my company, my grandfather was always telling me like you need that degree, you need that diploma. Like, I'm not yeah. going to be satisfied you have the diploma. And so when was that moment for you that said, you know what, shit, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a scholar. I'm not gonna make it to college. I'm not gonna go through education. I need to hustle. I need to find opportunities. Yeah. I need to work in different jobs. And how did you yeah. end up in the insurance business? How was, you know, because you, you have multiple yeah. jobs. How did you end up in the insurance business?
1: I was 20. Well, I got involved in the insurance business at 24, but it wasn't until I got out of the Marines, because uh, a year in, in the Marines, I got licensed in the insurance. I got recruited into the insurance industry and then when I got out, this is my full-time career now, but it's 100% commission-based, so I still needed something to sustain. But I knew that the insurance, there was a little bit more that I hadn't unpacked yet in the insurance industry because I was trying to get more certified, more educated in college. So I took my GI Bill. I'm here in Illinois where the Illinois Veterans Grant pays for all your college. I'm sitting there at DePaul University at, as a 25-year-old, 26-year-old, 27-year-old single dad, getting got my insurance license learning the certified financial planning curriculum, and all these younger college students are just just smoking me Mm. in academics. I'm like, how do you guys know about that? I'm like, how do I, you guys are just kicking my tail in the classroom, and it reminded me again of how I felt when I was in high school, right? And I'm like, I got combat experience, I'm in the United States Marine, I led Marines, I was a part of a team, special operations unit, da-da-da-da-da, and you guys are just kicking my tail Mm. in class. And I realized at this moment, like, I'm not going to beat anybody with my intelligence. I'm just not an academic guy. But guess what I started doing a year, year later? I started making six figures, making 250. And Mr. Adams, the college professor, who was a CPA, he was teaching a tax planning curriculum for the certified financial planning uh, designation. He says, what are you doing this for? I said, I'm doing this for the money. So what are you making right now? I said, more than 10. I said, listen, he goes, I'm, I'm making with my job as an adjunct professor and as a CPA, I'm making $90,000 a year. Mm. So, you're doing $110,000 a year income without a college degree. If your outcome was to make money, you're already doing it. You don't need the college degree. Mm. And tr- I said, Really? So, he kind of t- asked, Are you telling me to drop out? I said, I didn't tell you to drop out. I'm just saying, if your outcome was to make money, you're already doing it without a college degree.
0: I, 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 listen, I think that's where, you know, right now we need to give young men permission, young people permission just to pursue their passion, you know, pursue their purpose because I think that. You know, the, the idea that you're going to get a college degree and that's going to be a, a safety net is no longer available. And, yeah. and I think that you and I come from the school like, man, if, it's, if we're going to make it, we have to make it on our own. Like nobody's going to give yeah. a shit. Like nobody's going to hand <laughs> it to us, right? And I remember when I got into real estate, my mentor gave me a book. And I recommend this yeah. book to everybody. If you if you read this book and you actually go to the beginning of this book and the end of this book, you're never going to starve a day in your life. You know what that book was? The White Pages, he <laughs> said, said, "Get the white pages man and start calling from A to Z and sell anything. Like at that point I was selling real estate, said like, you're never going to starve because there's the numbers, there's the names and and just yeah. start calling, start selling and and that's that's a skill. and so you had the, yeah. you had the hunger. you were hungry for yeah. success, you were hungry to 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 make a living, and you also had the responsibility of your kids. Yeah. And, you know that's that's the leverage, that's the leverage that, that, that you had. So, so now, you know, if you fast forward, you have your own company, you you have a team. Uh, how do you create the culture? Because I think that's one of the main things that, that we thrive on in, in our Next Level experience is creating a culture, the culture of the
1: edge, the culture
0: of, of being part of a team. And so how do you create that for your company now?
1: The the, the thing I, I love the most from multiple areas of my life, from my faith life, from my military life, from my sports life, from my business life, we just wrapped it into something called culture, as you describe it. So our guys, we get together. And by the way, we're two claps in a Ric Flair, you know, two claps in a, 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 a Money Smart Movement, two claps in a, you know, team of the century. You know, we, we, we do a lot of It's So it's so weird that you guys do this. So, wow, it's, it's awesome. And so the things that we loved about the locker room, things they love about teamwork and camaraderie, you know, we tend to attract a lot of people who are team players, team sports guys in the military because we have that culture. You know, right outside right now, we got a couple of guys that are in the fitness world, mm. but because their business was slammed during the pandemic, they shifted into the insurance industry. They just took the skills from working out in the gym and dieting mm. and teaching other people to do it. Now they're translating that into the business world, into mm. the insurance awesome. industry. And their passion happens to be uh, uh, passion not their passion now turning out to be fitness, but their purpose and their income comes from the insurance industry. And so, you know, that, that goes in, you know, by the way, I would just want to make a comment on your, in your message there about phone calls, you know, Mark Cuban, when he purchased the Dallas um, Mavericks, the, he got right away the next day, he got a list of all the season ticket holders and he personally made all the phone calls. He says, listen, man, please continue to buy your season tickets. I'm gonna turn this team around. I'm gonna make this things happen. Boom, boom, boom. Next you know three, four, five years later, they won a championship. So okay. there is something about people want a quick fix, people want a, a magic pill, people want a silver bullet. The silver bullet is just boom, what you just said there. Dun, dun, dun. Doing the dirty dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Is what we tend to we tend to call it.
0: Yeah, I tell people, listen, the phone is a million dollar tool. Like yeah. you could easily <laughs> make a million dollars. I don't need anything. I just need a phone. Yeah. And I, I could, you know, if you give, if you put a gun to my answer, well, you need to be, have a million dollars by the end of the week. I know I could pick up the phone and, and figure out how to get that money. And I think that a lot of people are relying a lot in, in Facebook marketing and Google, anything, right. In, in order for yeah. you to, to actually do the work, which is face yeah. your clients, make those, yeah. get, have those conversations, you know, get in yeah. front of people's faces and ask them, what do you want? So I could give you the service that, that you need. So Correct. so great. So you know, I, I wanted to have you in the podcast, but for selfish reasons too, brother, because I want to sure. learn a little bit more about the financial uh, industry. You know, I've always had. Sure. You know, I own a real estate company. We we we, right. we have we we have a, a team here, but I'm always curious about how could we create convergence, right? How do we how does one yeah. industry overlap another one, especially yeah. now with technology? I know real estate is going through a you know, it's going through a, a a boom right now because everything is selling for high. But I know that it's going to be a drop. Yeah. I know the market is going to crash eventually. It's inevitable, right? And we're preparing. Yeah. You know, my my background is in the in the in the world of the foreclosure world. So we're preparing ourselves for the mm. drop. But at the same time, I know that the financial industry is also going through some changes. And there's been yeah. a lot of changes recently. So yeah. what is it that you see right now that's coming up
1: in the in the market? Yeah. So. When I got involved in the insurance industry, right outside right the base, there was a mortgage office, insurance office to the right, and I walked into both offices. I re, I knew they were 100 commission based. I said, "Who's going to pay me the soonest though? Who's going to pay me faster?" Hmm. Insurance guy says two weeks. Mortgage guy says, "Well, whenever we, close, we have conditions to clear to close, that's when you right six to eight weeks." Hmm. Sure enough, two weeks I got. The commission check and insurance so selling insurance policies and retirement accounts and it was six to eight weeks before i closed on my ninety thousand dollar condo that it helped refinance
0: mm.
1: so 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 i've been through tw- 22 years now i've been doing this so we're your you know insurance and real estate mortgage we're just financial cousins mm. right peanut butter and joe put together and i've seen the ups and about i saw 01.com bubble oh eight nine great recession now we've seen the 2020 Great pandemic, uh, the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. Each time, every time, Raul, I've seen the insurance business during tough times in- increase. Mm. It's the it's the weirdest yeah. thing because, the pa- for example, last year, most businesses shut down. We increased by 65%. It was done like this, through Zoom. So our guys made more money during the pandemic through Zoom while most people, sadly, were being ham- hammered in the marketplace when there's a there's fear in the marketplace everybody flights to safety which is the insurance insurance industry it's not sexy it's well capitalized it's it's it's, uh, it's got reserves upon reserves upon reserves so you know when 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 the when the markets uh, have a correction the insurance guy, the insurance industry uh has a mainstay and 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 more people put more money in these accounts they always forget about it during good times but during bad times this is when more money flies and more talent yeah. flies to the to the insurance industry marketplace than, than ever before. I think there's a study that says more people in information, IT, healthcare, uh, hospitality, 31% graded high on getting involved in the insurance industry. They just didn't know how to get involved mm-hmm. in the insurance industry because this is not one of those you know well-talked about or previously thought to be sexy type industries in the past. And I think that's what we're doing with our company, showing, hey, we are on TikTok. We are on social media. We are a fun industry we are part of. You know, Raul, You know the, the sad part about it. You know, somber story here. You know, sadly this year because of of gun violence here in Chicago, we've lost two of our agents mm. to gun violence. Two, wow. One got carjacked. One got murdered in the west side of Chicago. Those are the, those are the Those are the areas that we tend to recruit people from because we want to give people an opportunity. But the good news, if there's any silver lining in that, they all had life insurance on their wow. lives. They normally didn't have it. And so their families got paid. What both of them left kids behind, sadly. Saw them at the funeral. They're, not, they're they're young. They're oblivious what's going on right now. One's one's two years old. The other one's six years old. Mm. oblivious what's going on right now. But we know that there's a nice chunk of money that's sitting for them, mm. for, for them to go to college or start a business.
0: And I, and I think that that's that's um, the challenge that we have as being minorities. Like my my father just passed away a year and a half ago. I was sharing that that with, mm-hmm. with you before the the podcast started. And I remember the conversation with my dad saying to me, like, should I cancel this? Because I'm paying this every month. I, you know, I don't want to pay this bill. I just want to cancel it. And I kept saying, that that's your insurance money. Like, you have to pay yeah. that bill. That, If, I, if anything, yeah. that's the one that you have to keep. Because you, if one thing that we guarantee is to die, there's two things, yeah. taxes and <laughs> dying. So so I think that you're doing a great job by really reaching out to the people who really need to have a, a, a change in mindset. Because that's what we need, a change in mindset to be able to yeah. think like the wealthy, to be able to have a wealth mentality versus just a a trading dollars for hours mentality. So how, and I love the fact that you're doing it right now with, with, you're bringing sexy into, you're never bringing sexy back because the financial industry was never sexy. You're bringing sexy back, or you're bringing sexiness into the financial industry. How are you doing that? What's what's some of the strategies you're bringing to to have young people in your community
1: join the company? Correct. So, you know, we, we, uh, for example, uh, we're planning for our next convention coming up. So we, all the a list labs that love what we do. For example, Oscar De La Hoya was a former investor in our company. He dropped he dropped a ten million dollars into the infrastructure of our company to invest in PHP agency. Um, we had Magic Johnson, who's the only black owned. Check this out, Raul. You may not have known this, but Magic Johnson is the only black owner of an insurance company in the entire United States. Fifty one percent owner of of uh, of Equitrust. By the way, there used to be more black owners in the past. And sadly, it's it's gone away and needs to get back to that. Uh, More minority owned insurance companies. Um, You know, uh, uh, the late, great Kobe Bryant was just at our convention five months before sadly he passed away. A former president of the United States came to our convention, George W. Bush. So we're bringing in talent. We've got we got Joe Coy, a half Filipino, half American comedian. He's got Netflix specials. He's doing entertainment at, at our convention. We got Mike Tyson. He's coming out to our convention. Uh, we got Bo Jackson coming to our after party at the at t Stadium at our training event in 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 Dallas. So we're just bringing in uh, A-list celebs mm. into our mix that love what we do, and these guys don't need our check, right? And these guys do background checks on who we are, what we do. So, so to to introduce the conversation that you know A-list celebs and people of stature of influence like and love what we're doing, that's that's a way we're making the insurance industry sexy.
0: That's awesome, man. Because I think that's what people need: innovation. I look at industry yeah. as bringing innovation. I think you know, right now the pandemic has exposed our weaknesses, exposed every yeah. every part of us. So it's forcing us to become better. Because if we continue to do the same thing that we did previous yeah. the pandemic, pre-pandemic, we're not going to get the same results. The game has changed. Yeah. We have to bring innovation. We have to bring energy. We have to bring community. What you're doing is yeah. bringing community into into your into your team. But at the same time, man, you you're focusing on service, and I think that's that's the main thing. If if one thing that our listeners want, I want them to take away is that. This thing success doesn't happen by accident. Success happens yeah. by design. But if you don't have the hunger to be able to be hungry to figure things out when when shit gets tough, you have to figure shit out. Uh, you know, yeah. I, and I'm sure you've been through situations where, man, like I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Like, I don't know yeah. if, if I'm going to be able to, you know, if that check is going to bounce or that check is going to pay for it. Like, <laughs> oh, for so, sure. So tell us about those situations where you were like, man, I don't know if this is going to pay out, if my business is going to pay out or, or like, and how did you convince yourself and how did you quiet that voice that told you to give up or like just to call it quits and go back to what you what you know it to do?
1: Yeah, there's a situation I was going through, you know, and the, th- here's a story about residual income. And sometimes you tend to forget about it by being involved in this industry. And I was going through a very difficult situation, early 2000s. And um, and uh, anyway, make a long story short, I went down to the bank and I uh, said, you know, listen, those desperate things, what do I have left in my bank account? I'm just trying to pull out $40. And she says, oh sure, well your balance is $15,800. What? What, are you sure it's my account? And she goes, yeah, you have 15, show me the screen, don't mess with my emotions. <laughs> And sure enough, you know, years of residual income started building in my bank account that I completely forgot about. Mm. That was there, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity, for being involved in this, in this industry." And then, so we just started the habit of four savings, four savings, to always create that cushion, 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 cushion. Because anytime there's downtimes in the economy, every time there's downtimes in the market, the people with cash on the sidelines go into the market during mm. the worst times. It sounds it sounds very counterintuitive because people oh what's rising that's what you should buy no they say buy low, sell high for a reason I like buying things on discount and people think that you know you know everybody jumping on like for example like what's going on right now NFTs and, and crypto I like buying where they where they dip mm-hmm. when they crash when the market when everybody in the media say this is going it's crashing it's crashing boom that's why I insert myself because uh, when emotions are high logic is low. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that the more the more I am less emotional about a scenario, the more logical in processing I could be to be more target specific, and uh, um, it's paid off. Versus me being emotional all the time. Yeah, I, th- I think emotional. I talk about emotional fitness all the time. Like, how do you harness mm. that
0: emotional fitness? I and mean, everybody knows that emotional intelligence is, is the key, right? But emotional fitness yeah. is is really taking those punches. Is is knowing yeah. how to fail, knowing that man like I don't know if I want to make it through um, through this the storm. So, uh, talking about NFTs, talking about cryptocurrency, like what are you seeing right now in the marketplace, and what are you, uh, what what are you seeing in the next in the next year that we, you could share with you, with our listeners about where to invest or or things that they could they could actually um, start doing more research on.
1: Those are very exciting things because you know I look at NFTs. I'm looking at my I, I had a bunch of ba- uh, baseball cards and basketball cards here uh, earlier. Yeah, so those I I saw, more... I saw on Instagram and you were buying some uh, buying some cards and
0: uh, and those things double or triple their money.
1: It's crazy i bought a kobe bryant card for 10 bucks and today it's worth ten thousand dollars awesome you know it's, it's it's the craziest thing but i like those things because it it it's based on a sport it's based on players it's based on something that cannot be reprinted again right because they can't make any more new rookie cards it's already done the seasons in the past they can do reprints but it's not the same thing as the original but nfts and, and crypto everything's going digital right now everything's going web-based everything's leveraging the blockchain I think it's brilliant at the same time too. I think there's also in terms of cryptocurrency, there's government regulation. I think there's going to be a moment in time where either Janet Yellen or something that somebody in the government is going to say, boom, this is a way for us to find ways to regulate and or tax uh cryptocurrency. Just like, just like remember back in the day, you bought things from Amazon or eBay, but you didn't pay any sales tax. Mm, yeah, And then yeah. they incorporated it. Well, I think that's going to be some form of version of that with, with cryptocurrency. I mean, I think it's a, it's it's a, it's a, it's an elegant, um, uh, technology to to track, uh, to track, you know, transactions and to say, this is, this, this is mine, this is mine. Um, and that's what uh, uh, NFTs do uh, through the blockchain. But I think there's, again, it's speculative. Yeah. So, you know, and by the way, I'm, uh, this is advice from a friend, not from an investment advisor, because I'm not a financial or investment advisor. But all I would say is if you're going to put money into something that's always speculative, be prepared for it to go to zero. Yeah, and, and I think that's if you're weird. okay with that amount, yeah. If you're okay with that amount, then put your money in there. If you're not okay with that, then don't put don't put money in
0: there. I think that a lot of people right now are looking at how do I get get rich quick,
1: you know. And I mm. think that
0: it, listen, it's good to have ambition. I'm the first one to say, hey, listen, I'm gonna double yeah. down. I sh- But there is no get rich quick uh, scheme. I mean, there is there is you taking a risk, and I think that as entrepreneurs we have to learn how to take the risk. If we don't know how to take the risk, if we can't don't I advise my clients all the time, don't take a risk that you're not going to come back from. You know, when when you take too much risk and then you lose the edge, it's really hard to to come back from losing the edge. If, if you don't know how to rebuild yep. again. You know, that's one of the, the reasons that we have this program is how do we, we help men get the edge back? Because I think that's where yep. we get stuck. We lost, we failed. Now I don't know how to get it back. But the reality is that that's part of the game. We have to take yep. the risk. We have to take the punches, but we have to keep on going because at the end of the day, that's that's what we do. That's Entrepreneurship is a new form of being a gladiator. Like if yep. you don't if you don't want to be in the battlefield, get the fuck out of the field. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. This is not for
1: you. So- yeah. So I, thought- I, th- I think Raul, when, when when people are going through that, because one thing to lose financially, but it's another thing to lose a reputation, mm. right? And I think reputation, for the most part, is harder to come by than getting your finances. You can always make money back, but when people think about and remember your reputation, what you did do, you, for example, today at the recording of this podcast, Bernie Madoff died, right? The wow. guy that ran the largest Ponzi scheme, he died today at eighty-seven years old. Oh, today,
0: I didn't know that. Wow,
1: just just now, about about four hours ago, he just got reported. His reputation was so bad. His son, one of his sons, mm-hmm. committed suicide because he couldn't take yeah. the fact that his, he's, he's a son of a Madoff. Yeah. One of his kids committed suicide. His whole entire family is fractured because he tried to get rich quick and he couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop it because he made it fraudulently. He couldn't expose the lie. So, whatever the lie exposed him. And I so, when, when you're looking at get rich quick schemes, man, it, it's very difficult. I'd rather you just make money and find ways that you control the outcome. Mm-hmm. Not outside external forces. If you can control the outcome and it's systematic and predictable, then that's for me, that's the gamble I like when I'm able to control the odds.
0: So I, I think that's where us being immigrants, Matt, gives us that superpower. You know, I'll I t- <laughs> t- I t- I tell you why because sure. I, yeah. I remember coming into this country and I was sharing a two bedroom apartment with like five families. And I thought we were the wealthiest people in the world, man. I'm like, man, we got two, we we have one bathroom. We have you know, we have two rooms, we have a living room, man. I was like, and then I I grew up in a, in a two bedroom condo with, you know, like five, six families coming in, coming out and like, but I I never thought of myself as being poor. I never thought of myself like, man, I don't have an, I remember going on vacation with my family, my mom renting Mm -hmm. one apartment, one room for, for like five, five families. And we had to, you know, we have to have, we sit, in the, sit on the, you know, sleep on, on the floor. She called it like, we're yeah. going to have a night, you know, night uh, over. So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't ever a sense of we were not, we were not having enough. We always have more. Yeah. I remember yeah. when I, when I started my real estate company and I, and actually got um, some contracts with with the government and they were giving us some of these yeah. REO properties and and mm-hmm. we acquire a property that the guide owed a hundred million dollars to the IRS. So, so the. The property was taken over by the IRS, so so they gave it to us. And I remember walking into this house, man. That house had a helipad, it had a a barn uh, with like twenty horses. It was a a, uh, send me pictures of that twenty five thousand square feet house. Had to have a a golf cart just to get around the house, okay. And I met the the woman who um, she had to leave because I actually had to give her a check. I gave her a check. For almost a million dollars to get out, because that was the the cash for keys for that property. It was a a big check. that Had to write a check for a million dollars to tell her to leave the house so we could actually sell the house. She was in tears, Matt, because she only had a million dollars in her bank account. She was, in her mind, she was like, I'm like the poorest person in the world, because she only knew that type of lifestyle. So you know when when I look at you, know, I tell my kids like, listen, we could go back to zero. We could go back to that one bedroom and everybody just live. I, I don't care. If we could go yeah, back to zero. Yeah. We know how to rebuild. But yeah. I, I had to learn that. I had to learn to to humble myself to know that at the end, it's just a matter of rebuilding, right? Rebuilding. So how do you yep. get? So the question for you is, what do you do? You know, to get you to that mentality that you know what you have really is, is, doesn't mean anything. What what means is how you create in it. Just like, just like you said, like shortcuts or yeah. rich quick schemes, they're not going to create a legacy. But you yeah. building it the right way, the right foundation, is going to create a legacy. How do you get mentally prepared every single
1: morning on that, or every single day? We're reading this as a company, rereading this book this month called "How to Fail at Almost Anything and Still Win Big," mm. and it's name it's it's written by the cartoonist that created the cartoon called Dilbert. Yeah, I heard of that. And yeah. uh, and and we've embraced the fact that as we want to journey toward success there are going to be moments where the dirt's going to be kicked in our face we're going to be hit low blows that's just part of the journey of entrepreneurship and we need to anticipate that and if we don't anticipate that then we're selling ourselves the wrong story the wrong the wrong narrative up front but you know the, everybody talks about the rags the riches story what about the rags the riches the rags the riches the rags the riches the rags the riches, the rag, the riches. That's really the journey. Yeah, that's, that is, that's you know? it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. But, and that's, and that's, uh, and if, and if you learn through those failures, and I mean, I've, I've created stop gaps and my wife and since I've married my wife six years ago, you know, we've created some stop gaps, you know, as, as much as difficult as discipline and money go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like to be disciplined, but even in the word disciple, I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a disciple of, you know, whatever. There's that word discipline inside that word disciple you have to be disciplined martial arts discipline right uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, performing arts discipline there's discipline in the things that we want to compound and grow and that's part of it's part of the disciplines knowing that as much as you're going to embrace the victory there's also time that you got to really say you know what I'm gonna I gotta, I gotta suck it up right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got I I to take, take the low on this, I got to take the L on this, one. but there's something to be learned from here. Just make sure I learn from it now or else it's going to be a repeat process. Yeah. And,
0: I, and I think, again, learning right from the experience. I remember when I lost, I lost millions of dollars in the crash in 2008. And I, I remember mm-hmm. not being able to pay my mortgage. I remember, you know, coming to the house, you know, having a conversation with my, my, my wife. But the learning is that this is not going to kill mm-hmm. me. The learning mm-hmm. was that this is not the end, this is the beginning you know, and rebuilding from that and having the discipline to rebuild is having a, com- a bigger commitment because now, okay, I took an L, now I have to come back stronger and that creates consistency. Like you gotta be consistent. So, uh, you know, the last question for you is, you know, I know that you you have the right people around you. Like I, I believe in proximity, proximity is power. Yeah. How do you create that proximity with people? Because I'm sure that, you know, People didn't want to mentor you when they saw you you know doing what you were doing at the beginning right how did you get the attention of mentors how do you get the attention of people that actually see the best in you and and you start believing on yourself again
1: i, I had to recruit them. you know i, I remember re- recruiting a mentor and giving patrick but david a reason to mentor me and uh you know as much as he re- you know, mentors me i said okay what's what can i do for you okay mm. what can i do for you boom we made the arrangement boom, we made these different things. I became one of his top sales guys. I am now the top sales guy and and, um, and uh, uh, agency builder with inside his organization. The number one income earner within inside his own entire company. Awesome. And in exchange, awesome. I'm able to get his mentorship and mm-hmm. to see a mentor. You also got to select a mentor that's also recruiting mentors for him, mm. right? Because he's raising his game. You don't want your mentor yeah. to be the same person a year from now, two years after a while. You end up mentoring them. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Patrick's like a completely different guy when I first met him six years ago. He's evolved. He's created two companies, you know, and, and so he's created you know two two you know uh, 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 you know you know quarter million dollar half million dollar uh, companies literally simultaneously. And then the flip side to that is who are you gonna who are you gonna ride with? Mm. Who's my roadie? How do I how do I how to recruit somebody like for example? I was just talking to my trainer, bro. You better get back to Chicago, man, because he's in Miami right now. So you better get to Chicago. Man, I'm, I'm, I need I need I need the accountability in the gym. I need uh, somebody pushing me in the gym, working out by myself sucks. I need somebody to put your pay. You get paid to push my limits. You need mm-hmm. to come back already. Um, so I'm recruiting them. I recruit the person who, who, ta- who, who uh, feeds our family, the nutritionist, the, the uh, meal prep. I recruit a nanny to make sure the right values and principles are taught to our kids when they're away from the house. We recruit the teachers to, to adopt the principles that we implement at home and say, listen, you may teach a certain way in school, but you got to understand what layers them. The bottom line is how we teach them at home. Not based on what the school says. Okay, so if you say the school says this, and my my kid acts opposite, of it, you got to know it's coming for me, not my mm-hmm. kid. And you got to be okay with that as a, as, as a school master. You got to be okay with that as a as a teacher. I'm recruiting my pastors. Mm-hmm. I need to find a pastor that's going to be in my life that plays offense as a ministry leader, as a as a pastor pushing. And you know, I just can't have a warm bath pastor. I need a pastor. To get also, so I'm re- I'm recruiting all the people in my life that play at this mm-hmm. level. And by the way, Robo, that's annoying for a lot of people because. When we're around each other, we're just pushing each other's buttons. Boom, 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 boom. I remember having a cigar with Michael Jordan when he, uh, he opened up his grand opening here in, in Oak Brook and he was given the 85 Chicago Bears, Chicago Bears team. He was giving them a hard time because, hey, are you still celebrating what you did in 85? How are you growing? How, what are you doing today in, in, in 2000? Because Michael's constantly growing and evolving as an entrepreneur, as a billionaire, not just what he was as an athlete
0: there's always the next level man and that's what I, that's what I oh, love yeah. about you know having proximity is that listen if you're the same man you were a year ago then you're not growing if you have the same problems you had last year you're not growing like stop <laughs> waiting for problems to be solved try to yeah. outgrow your problems you know the moment that you outgrow your problems they just have a better quality of problems and then you you continue to evolve so Listen, brother, it's been a pleasure uh, having you here, man. You've given us so many insights, and I hope that our audience gets a chance to follow you on Instagram, to follow you in in YouTube, follow you in 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 Facebook, because I know you have a wealth of knowledge that you're constantly sharing with the people. And what I love about you is your humble attitude, man. Like you, you humble. I appreciate you. It, you, you, are real. You connect with people, and and I can't wait to continue to see your journey,
1: brother, because I know that the best is yet yeah. to come. Hundred percent, man, and I'm looking forward to continue relationship long after this podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you, brother.
0: If you're a man that's looking for the edge, go to findmynextlevel.com to join us on a 30 day challenge. This challenge is gonna give you the system and the process so you can find your code to the edge.